Good morning, everyone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, guys. Happy Sukkot. Everyone having a good time? Yes. Good, good. Okay, so we're going to go through just a quick little overview. Can you guys hear me okay in the back? You're going to have to speak really loud. Can you guys hear me okay from right there? Okay. All right, so let's go over just a quick little review. So what do you guys remember about uh, the first teaching, Gabe's first teaching that we had this Sukkot? What's, what's something that stuck out to you guys that you remember? Where demons came from. Where demons yeah. came from. So the, right, and, and so the, the traditional Jewish thinking of where uh, demons came from. All right, so yeah, that's that's very important. So how about Jeremy's teaching? What do you guys remember from his teaching? Just. We have to be little Yeshua's. We have to be little Yeshua's, right, that walk by faith. Yeah. All right, how about Anthony's teaching? What, what's something that you guys remember from that teaching? Oh, yes. Really? Oh, that's so much fun. That's really cool. I like your shirt, by the way. Is that Captain America? <laughs> Good deal. Good deal. All right. So, yeah. Uh, so, Anthony was talking about having a, a pure heart. Oh, did we have someone back there? Yes? I'm sorry. Can you speak up just a little bit more? That, oh yeah, that they were adding. Absolutely, that's a that's a common theme with uh, what we're going to be be reading in the next few chapters. Now uh, I just have a little kind of summary of what we've been reading so far. So um, after showing his authority over demons, death, and physics, Yeshua asserts his superior superiority over man-made traditions. For generations, Jewish religious leaders have added to the law an attempt to keep the nation holy. Some traditions, however, serve to make leaders look good, but unnecessarily burden the people. Yeshua argues both by word and action that any law that dismisses love is either misinterpreted or it's a man-made law altogether. Now, Mark, in Mark 8, it continues Yeshua's attempts to teach his disciples God's plan for the Messiah. Yeshua has not come for the religious Pharisees, but for the meek who will respond to him. He has not. Uh, he has not yet come in his glorious and uh, as. Uh, he has not come yet as uh, gl glorious and victorious, uh, the victorious champion of Israel, but to die for the whole world, and his followers must be willing to sacrifice their lives also. Now, in chapter eight, this marks a really, really interesting turning point in, Yesh in Yeshua's ministry, as his uh, miracles grow fewer and his teachings increase. Now, tonight we're going to uh, go on a walk together and look uh, and stop and look at a few of the events in Mark 7 and Mark 8. Now, in these chapters, we'll see a continuation of the common themes that we've been reading about in uh, earlier chapters. Uh, those themes being about, you know, man-made traditions, uh, healing, and faith. So, uh, turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 1, and we'll start there. Uh, this picks up right off where we left off last night, where Yeshua and his disciples sailed across the Sea of Galilee and uh, landed at Canaret. So Mark 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered to him after they came from Jerusalem and saw that some of his disciples were eating their bread with unholy hands, that is, unwashed, in parentheses, for the 
Pharisees and all other Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, thereby holding firmly to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they've completely cleansed themselves. And there are many other things which they have received as traditions to firmly hold, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and copper pots. Parentheses. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk in accordance with the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with unholy hands? But he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me, and in vain, they do, wor in, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and the one who speaks evil of, of father or mother is certainly to be put to death. But if you say, if a person says to his father or his mother, whatever I have would help you is korban, in parentheses, that is given to God, you no longer allow him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thereby, uh, thereby invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do uh, many things such as that. It goes on, after he called the crowd to him, uh, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand that there is nothing outside a man, outside a person, which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which come out of a person are what defile the person. And later, uh, when he later entered the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, are you so lacking in understanding as well? Do you not understand that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Because it is not what goes into his heart, but what goes into his stomach and is eliminated. In parentheses, thereby uh, he declared all foods clean. And parentheses. And he was saying that which comes out of a person, that is what defiles the person. For from within, out of the hearts of people come evil thoughts, acts of sexual immorality, thefts, murders, acts of adultery, deeds of greed, wickedness, deceit, indecent behavior, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the person. So... Okay, guys, what's, what's, what is this rub with the Pharisees and the scribes? Why were they questioning Yeshua? What were they, what were they questioning him about? He wasn't following their customs. That's right. He wasn't, he wasn't following their, their, uh, their, their man-made man -made, uh, traditions, the traditions of their elders. Uh, we see that when he, when he says, or when they say, Why do your disciples not walk in accordance with the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unholy hands? Now this is all about the 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 washing uh, the hand washing ritual of the elders. Now, uh, in most here in most Bibles, within the parentheses, it says in verse nineteen, thereby he declared all foods clean. Let's just stop here for just a second and and cover something real quick. Now, these words are found nowhere in the original manuscripts that we have of Mark seven. This was added in later by a scribe who thought it necessary to help the reader understand the passage. A problem with that, uh, a problem that some run into with this, 
uh, because of flawed doctrines, teachings, or cultural observance, or maybe even misunderstandings, is that many attempt to use this, this comment, thus he declared all foods clean, as a proof text to support that the food laws were, uh, that were given on Mount Sinai you know, to protect us and to sanctify us were abolished. This is just a poor attempt uh, to use this as a, a proof text to try and support that stance. Now, again, this might just come from a lack of understanding of the Torah and perhaps other books as well. And an important principle of biblical interpretation is often overlooked, being that we should not base any doctrine or uh, teaching on an uncertain reading. In other words, don't make things up, okay? If you don't know what it means, don't make things up. Now, my two senses is that this is just, this is just kind of like part uh, this is likely part of the reason why God said not to take, uh, add, nor take away from his word. Now, the context of this passage has nothing to do with abolishing food laws, but rather everything to do with the tradition of the elders called Nitilat yad, uh, Yadadim, uh, which literally translates to the lifting up of hands. Here's some information about this tradition and uh, where it came from. Now, traditionally, Jews are required to wash their hands and say a blessing before eating any meal that includes bread or matzah. The ritual known as nitalit yadaim is typically, typically done using a two-handed cup, but any vessel will do. There are various customs regarding how the water should be poured, but a common practice is to pour twice on the right hand, uh, followed twice on the left. This is reversed for those who are left-handed. And Hasidic custom is to pour uh, three times on each hand. Using the non-dominant hand to pour first can feel unnatural or awkward, highlighting that the washing uh, is done for ritual rather than pragmatic purposes. The tradition is unrelated to personal hygiene, and a person is still required to perform this ritual even if their hands are still clean. It is also customary not to speak following uh, the recitation of the blessing until the reciting of the blessing for the bread and the partaking uh, of some. Now it goes, uh, forgive me if I, if I butcher this, it goes, Baruch atah Adonai Elohenu Melakai Olam Asher Kedishanu Bimitzvotav Vitzivanu Al Netila Yadaim. That translates to, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with your commandments and commanded us concerning the washing of hands. Now, where, where did this, this come from? So the, the origins, rather, of this tradi uh, tradition uh, prior to eating bread originated with the rabbis of the Talmud. It derives from various practices concerning ritual impurity from when the ancient temple stood in Jerusalem. The priests who performed the temple rituals were given gifts of oil, wine, and wheat uh, that would be eaten, eaten only after the ritual washing. For various reasons, the ancient rabbis extended this practice to all Jews before eating meals. Some sources suggest that the practice was instituted so the temple's washing ritual would not be forgotten. So there, there were some really good uh, intentions behind this. Whatever the reason, the practice incumbent upon both men and women was established by Talmudic times and later included in the medieval codes of Jewish law. Some passages in the Talmud indicate that failing to wash hands before a meal is a, a significant transgression. One Talmudic sage even says that eating bread without washing is much like having sex with a prostitute, while another says that acting consumptu uh, 
contemptuously towards this ritual causes one to be uprooted from the world. So very, very strong opinions on this. Now, while washing uh, before bread is probably the most widely observed instance of ritual hand washing, there are various other times when ritual hand washing is customary. These, includes, these include on waking up in the morning, after a meal, uh, prior to reciting the priestly blessing, and during Passover Seder, and lastly, uh, upon returning from uh, a cemetery. So it was then, and it even continues to be a strong and beautiful tradition, minus some of the rabbinical uh, commentary on it. And uh, it's, it's, still, it's still very strong and continues to be prevalent amongst our Jewish brothers and sisters uh, now, as it was back when Yeshua was uh, being questioned about you know, his disciples' obedience to this law. Now, I want to mention forcing others to hold to tradition is, is burdensome and it's just not right. It should be a choice freely made by the individual. Again, this had nothing to do with abolishing any food laws. Nonetheless, what has already been established as food is indeed clean. Now, let's go ahead and continue our walk. Let's grab our walking sticks and, and go ahead and go back into Mark 7, verse 24, and we'll read another uh, sometimes confusing passage about Yeshua's encounter with a Gentile woman. Uh, this story is just it's, it's, it's amazing. If we pay attention within this story and dialogue, we'll see Yeshua using his power over creation again, and, and, and then the knowledge of and the obedience to his Father's plan for man's redemption. So if you'll turn with me to uh, Mark 7, verses 24. Now, Yeshua got up and went there from the, uh, to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered the house, he wanted no one to know about it, and yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile of Seraphonician descent, uh, most likely a Canaanite. And she repeatedly asked him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And after going back to her home, she found the child laying on the bed and the demon gone. Who here has, has ever heard um, someone explain how this passage, in this passage, Yeshua used a derogatory, derogatory term or a racial, racial slur to describe Gentiles. Has, has anyone ever heard that about this passage before? Okay, so a few of you have. False. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not within context. That, 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 that is not true because that, that's so contrary to, to Yeshua and, and, and how he lived. Now, let's look at why this, this statement and this teaching is blasphemous. Uh, here we go. So was he calling someone a Gentile a racial slur? Let's let's dig into this a little bit. Now th this is also recorded in, in Matthew 15, uh, where Yeshua encounters a Canaanite Seraphonician woman who begs him to cure to cure cure her daughter. Yeshua initially refuses 
uh, her request by saying, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Taken out of context, and especially in English, it is easy to mistake this for an insult. In the flow of the story, however, it's clear that Yeshua is creating a metaphor meant to explain the priorities of his ministry. He is also teaching an important lesson to his, his disciples that are watching. Now, Jews back in Yeshua's day sometimes referred to Gentiles as dogs in the Greek. The uh, word is uh, kuon, kuon, and that, that's actually a derogatory, uh, derogatory term. Now, uh, the non-Jews were considered so uh, unspiritual that even being in their presence could make a person ceremonially unclean. This is recorded in, in John 18. Now, much of Yeshua's ministry, however, involved turning expectations and prejudices on their heads. Now, according to Matthew's narrative, Yeshua left, uh, left Israel and went up to uh, Tyre and Sidon, where, uh, which was, you know, Gentile uh, territory. When the Canaanite woman approached and repeatedly asked for healing, the disciples were annoyed and asked Yeshua to send her away. But at this point, Yeshua explained his current ministry in a way that both the woman and the watching disciples could understand. At that time, his duty was to the people of Israel and, and not to the Gentiles. Now, the exact word that Yeshua used here in the Greek was, uh, was kunarian, kunarian, which is like a Greek word uh, for like a, like a house pet or like a, a puppy, right? Not like a, a nasty, unclean animal or anything like that. Uh, and it's definitely a completely different word. So we have two different words for dogs in, in the Greek here. Now, Yeshua frequently tested people to prove their intentions, and often through response, questions, and challenges. His response to the Canaanite woman is similar. In testing her, Yeshua declined her request and explained that she had no legitimate expectation of his help. The woman, however, lived out the principle that Yeshua himself taught in the parable of the uh, persistent widow that we, we would read in, in Luke 18, uh, verses 1 through 8. Now, her response proved that she fully understood what Yeshua was saying, yet had enough conviction anyway. Yeshua acknowledged her faith, calling it great, and granted her request. So, according to both the context and the language involved, Yeshua wasn't referring to the Canaanite woman as a, a dog, either directly or indirectly. He wasn't using a racial slur or anything like that, but making a point about the priorities he had been given by his father. Uh, he was also testing the faith of the woman and teaching an important lesson to his, uh, his disciples. Now, uh, I was talking to, uh, I was over last night sitting by the fire and I was talking to, to uh, Michael and, and Jeremy. And Michael, uh, sorry, uh, rather Jeremy, he had, he had given a really good example um, that kind of, uh, it, it, was, it was about our, our uh, food line over here. So uh, another way of explaining this kind of whole narrative with the, the, the dogs getting the crumbs after the children he, uh, was that he uh, gave the example that in our food line, it's established that we have the elders go f through the line first and then the children come, can come afterwards. It doesn't mean that the children won't be fed, but it's something that our, our authority has decided out of respect for those who have come before us. Does that, does that make sense? So, so let's go ahead and, and uh, continue moving here. Uh, let's go ahead and meet me in um, Mark chapter 8, verses 1. We'll go ahead and read from there. 
Now in those days, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Yeshua summoned his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me for three days already and have had nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way home. And some of them have come a great distance. And his disciples replied to him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to recline on the ground and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he told the disciples to serve them as well. And they ate and they were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 men were there and he dismissed them. And immediately he got, uh, got into the boat with the, his disciples and came to the region of Dalmathuna. And the Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, demanding him uh, a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. Now, his disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have any more than one loaf on the boat with them. And he was giving out orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the, the, leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Yeshua, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet comprehend or understand? Do you still, uh, do you still have your heart hardened? Uh, we'll stop here for just a moment. Do you guys remember last, uh, last night when Jeremy was talking about how their hearts were hardened in a very similar uh, miracle? They didn't even recognize the miracle right in front of their faces because their, their hearts were hardened. So do you still have your heart hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, 12. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, well, seven. And he, and he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a man who, well, actually, we'll, we'll stop here for, for the evening. Now, what was, what was happening here, Yeshua was, he was giving them a huge warning to avoid the leaven, the, 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 which represents pride, of the Pharisees and Herod. But they were, they were way too preoccupied with how much bread they, they had, you know? Even after seeing this, this great, you know, great amazing miracles over and over again. It's kind of wild. We would think that we would you know, be able to spot a miracle, but I, don't, I really don't think we're so different, right? Now, much like the, many of the religious leaders and the Pharisees, Yeshua's disciples were distracted by what they thought was important, totally missing the truth right in front of them. It was like when Yeshua went to, uh, to Martha's home and her sister Mary was at his feet listening to every word. 
Now, Martha, on the other hand, was frantically distracted by all her preparations for the guest and, uh, you know, cleaning pots and pans in the other room. And Yeshua answered her by saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the right thing and this shall not be taken away from her. Oftentimes we can get so caught up in the physical actions that we, you know, we, we totally miss out on the spiritual actions, right? I really appreciate what Gabe does when he, you know, he, before we celebrate a holy day or perform a mitzvot, like, uh, you know, t- uh, tomorrow or, you know, Sunday, we'll, we'll do, be doing a water immersion. Um, he, he'll explain the meaning or the history behind what we're about to do so that, you know, in the excitement and the, the festivities, we, all that isn't overshadowed by the really deep spiritual meaning of what we're doing. So I, I really do appreciate that. So in a similar vein, the Torah is the standard, right? But it's not a comprehensive manual that covers, you know, what to do in every single, you know, instance in life. But what it is, is a guide and a standard for us to live by that has deep spiritual meaning and significance. It, it should always produce love. Who here has ever been to Sam's Club or Costco and, and got some free samples? Yeah, you guys got really excited about that. Yeah. Would you feel guilty if you went in uh, uh, tomorrow? No, I'm just kidding. But anyways. <laughs> now, when you, you, know, you go over there and you, you take that free sample, and you have it and you're like, wow, this is good. You can trust that whatever's in the rest of the bag or the box or whatever it is they're promoting is full of the same thing. Well, that's exactly how it is with, with God's instruction for us. And also, it's so wonderful that he not only gave us, you know, this free sample, his word, but also he gave us the perfect demonstration. Now, who demonstrated how to walk out the word perfectly? Yeshua. Yeshua. That's right. Yeshua is the walking Torah. He showed us how to do it. And it's all about his character of selfless love. Now, do you guys remember back when I mentioned that we're, we're going on a walk together? Right? I kind of used that language. Well, it doesn't end here. We're all going to continue to walk from here, and we should continue to, you know, walk seeking to walk as our Savior did, right? Always in love. Now, I want to leave you with something to think about tonight. So, imagine the the, the children of Israel, just all of them, just coming out of Egypt. They're just they're 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 on the walk, right? They're going along the same path, and you know, you have some in the middle, you have some in the in the back, and then you have some right at the front, right? They're all in the same walk, but at different places in that walk, shedding the the practices and the uh, doctrines of Egypt. Now, all who are in Messiah, Yeshua, are walking towards him. It doesn't matter if if, if we hold the same view or interpretation of of his word. His word is perfect and consistent, but our understanding is flawed without his help. Now, I know, you know, sometimes we may laugh or uh, disagree with others who, uh, you know, and how they walk out their faith. But if we are all part of the same body, we are striving towards the same narrow path. Just because someone believes differently than you does not mean that they are not your brother or sister. We must be very careful with traditions and doctrines and even our own understanding, our current own understandings of God's perfect word. We, we shouldn't be weaponizing it. We shouldn't be forcing these things on others. 
Any law that dismisses love is either misinterpreted or man-made. Now, we must love our neighbors as ourselves and, and just what we need to do is just pray to have, you know, for, for eyes to see and for ears to hear so that we, you know, we don't miss any more miracles like Yeshua's disciples were doing. And um, this is just something that we, we, we see sometimes and we just need to stop. And if you're having problems with this, you know, uh, look at how Yeshua handled all these different things and then read some of Paul's letters. He, he, I mean, he is in there trying to fix what's going on in some of these, these churches in different places. And he's, he's warning them, do not devour each other. You guys are going to eat each other up. Don't do that. So, um, so I'll, what I'll leave you guys with is just beware of the leaven of the, the Pharisees and, and Herod. And, and just if there's any, just this, if you ever feel that pride creeping up, because sometimes we, we can feel it, you know, right? Have you guys ever been like talking to someone and then you, you feel like you can just like, you're like right on the cusp of saying something that you know is going to hurt them and it would make you feel real good? Don't do that. That's not our love. That's, that's from the enemy. Don't, don't let him, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, uh. I guess, uh, entertain him with that. So, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the inherit. So, well, let's go ahead and close in prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and I guess do some, some dancing and sing some songs. <laughs> dear Heavenly Father, dear Abba, we love you and we thank you so much for your Shabbat, Lord. I pray that this, this, this teaching uh, was glorifying to you and edifying to the body. And Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to, to share your word and, um, Lord, I just I praise you and I thank you for all things. In Yeshua's holy and blessed name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Good job. What do you guys think? You want to give Patrick a no, thank no, you. No. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Hopefully it wasn't too convicting. We need an altar call. Yeah, altar. Yeah, yeah. Just come to the altar. We'll, we'll lay hands on you. No, well, I would. So. And I want to say uh, thank you to Patrick and Jeremy and Anthony for, for helping teach the, the book of Mark. And it's so, so great to have such... Uh, passionate and zealous young men to help rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. And uh, hopefully put me out of a job one day. <laughs> but um, no, let's, um, I guess we're going we're gonna to wrap up. But before I do, um, we need to pray for Jim Geiger tonight. Uh, they're going to perform kind of like an emergency surgery tomorrow. Um, is Shannon here? Shannon, uh, I want to make sure you correct me if I get this wrong. He has a gallbladder stone in his bile duct. Did I get it right? Okay. Um, he has a gallbladder stone in his in his bile duct, and it's been causing him severe pain the last 24 hours since pretty much since he left last night from from here. Um, so they're going to perform a bit of emergency surgery on him tomorrow. So let's just lift up a prayer tonight, him and Suzanne tonight, and um, also pray for for Melanie's um, Melanie's dad, who's who's still in in, in hospital right now, it's stable but in the hospital. Father, I just lift up Jim right now. Um, I just pray that you would just guide the doctor's hands, give them wisdom, give them understanding as to what his situation is. And we just pray that he would, um, he would come through surgery um, healthy and ready to recover and healthier than he was before he went in. And we'll give you all the glory for it. And just, I just ask that you give Shannon and Suzanne just a supernatural peace about the situation tonight. Knowing that you are in control, you are sovereign. And I also lift up uh, Melanie's father tonight in the hospital. Continue to work through their situation. We thank you for the stability that we see in his situation in the hospital. We continue to trust you for miracles and for healing in his life. In Yeshua's name, we all said. Amen.
Amen. So I think what we're going to do is about uh, three or four songs of dancing and, and worship, hang out, and then Mary Jane's going to lead a little game. How many of you remember playing Maccabee Mashup at Hanukkah? <laughs> yeah. She's going to do a Sukkot version of that with you all tonight Whoa. if she's able to stick around that late, okay? So hang out, um, dance, listen to some music, and then we'll play a fun game. Thanks, man. Still, yeah, good job. Thank you very much. Oh, I appreciate it. You got the Q&A. <laughs> I was waiting to get you. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't but even, I okay. I didn't even open up. I was just <laughs> thinking it was so late, he, I didn't know if he dodged the, the Q&A. Uh, well, what were you going to uh, say? 